so the book of Romans. Romans is possibly the most written about book in all of uh, scripture, uh, you know, and, and probably one of the most preached uh, you know, I, I've had many people message me like, hey, so-and-so's pastor or this, uh, they're doing Romans. And I'm like, yeah, it's a big one. A lot of people want to go through it. And one of the reasons why uh, so many people want to study uh, the book of Romans is because what's happened consistently all throughout history is that when people read, study, and hear the book of Romans, lives are changed. Big things happen. Uh, many Christian leaders uh, in church history, they trace their conversion back to the book of Romans. Uh, the great Augustine, the fourth century bishop of Hippo, he traces his conversion back to an encounter with Romans chapter 13. Years later, Martin Luther, uh, an eventual leader in the Protestant Reformation, he wrestled with his guilt before God until he grasped the meaning of Romans. Earlier in his life, he said that Romans chapter one, verse 17, it made him hate God because it speaks of God's righteousness and being perfectly righteous seemed like an impossible demand. So it made him angry at God. But then when Luther discerned that there was a righteousness outside of himself, a righteousness that is received through faith in Christ, not earned by religious works. Everything changed for him. Luther said that that passage opened the gateway to paradise for him. And he would write and teach so much on that book. In fact, John Wesley, uh, who led the Wesleyan revival, he was converted when hearing someone read Luther's preface to his commentary on the book of Romans. What's so amazing, though, is this. When we look at church history, we look at revivals, we look at things that have happened uh, just as a result of people hearing, listening, and studying this book. What's so exciting is you and I today can read and study the same inspired letter that brought life and power to them, and the same Holy Spirit who taught them can teach us today. That You should be more excited about that. <laughs> That's great. See what happens. Like, so what is it about Romans that has proved so life-changing and history-shaping? Well, one, is it's because Romans is about the gospel. The apostle Paul uh, is the author of this letter. And, and for some of you that may not know, the apostle Paul was formerly a persecutor of the church. In other words, he was against the church. He was one uh, leading uh, this all-out assault to silence the name of Jesus and to uh, put uh, Christians in prison, get them away. And, and we know that he had this supernatural encounter with the resurrected Christ uh, and and he was forever changed from that. And so as Paul is writing, uh, he's writing as one who's experienced the life-changing power of God's good news. So it's not this stale, just academic like, like writing. It's something where Paul is writing from this posture of, this has changed me. This has humbled me. Uh, this, this, this message has, has sent me out and it's made me all about this gospel message. And so the gospel frames uh, the letter, uh, but then Paul's going to explain and he's going to defend the substance of the gospel 
And then he's gonna describe for us how the gospel should shape Christian living and Christian mission. Okay, one of the things that I find with, with people when they study the book of Romans uh, or, or they're familiar with it is typically they just, they talk about how, man, the gospel's in there and the invitation and they really focus uh, exclusively on the invitation to respond to the gospel, but they miss so much in the book of Romans because the book of Romans is, is so much about not only responding to the gospel, but really it's about how you move forward and live in light of the gospel. In other words, what the book of Romans wants us to come away with here is is not only to make a decision as to where we're at with the gospel, but then we need to understand how it's going to take us and move us forward into what God has called us to be. Because when we embrace the gospel message, it changes us right? And, and if it changes us, what is it changing us into? Well, the book of Romans is going gonna, is gonna to teach us how it's changing us into becoming the picture of the new creation, the picture of the new identity that is only through Christ, uh, the picture of what uh, the original design was to be, and as we know, Christ is coming back and how it's going to be. And so the gospel message is not just something I receive and I say, thank you, God, woohoo, I'm good. No, it now moves me forward uh, into obedience, which we're gonna talk about in a minute. It moves my mission forward, my focus, my identity. And so it, it, it's something that essentially transforms my life so that you and I can be the people of God who the world takes notice of because we're different. And Paul's gonna unpack that. For us. You guys, today there is great confusion regarding the nature of God, regarding sin, and even salvation. So there's a great need for Christians to be able to have theological discernment. And Paul's letter is going to provide answers and clarity to these big issues of life. Uh, he was uh, an anxious, uh, uh, he was very anxious to get to this church. He wanted to get to the church at Rome. And, and so he's writing this letter to prepare the way for his visit. He wrote it during uh, a three-month stay while he was in Corinth. Uh, in Acts chapter 20, it talks about that. And he wrote it with the help of his scribe, Tertius, who we read about in Romans chapter 16. And so the book was written between A.D. Uh, 55 to 58, and the deaconess, Phoebe, likely carried the letter from Paul to Rome. As he was uh, writing, he was completing the collection for the poor in Jerusalem. And so from Corinth, what his plan was, was to go to Jerusalem, deliver that money, and then he was intending to continue to Rome and then get to Spain. Now, for those of us familiar, we know that his plans did not turn out how he had hoped. Uh, he ends up getting to Jerusalem, and then he's arrested, and then he does eventually get to Rome, but he gets to Rome after being beaten and shipwrecked, uh, and then he's imprisoned in Rome. But what we see, which is kind of fascinating, is, is Paul, he hadn't visited Rome, hadn't visited this church. This is a church that he didn't found, right? So, so he was the one who had started it. But what we see going on in Rome is the Lord is building his church. 
You know, sometimes we think, oh, God uh, needs that person or that to, in order to bring it to fruition. No, God is fully capable of building his church on his own. And we see that going on in Rome uh, during this time. Now, we know that some Romans were present on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. And so it's possible that they returned home with news of their new faith and they shared it and it started to spread. Uh, but also merchants that would be going into Rome to do business, they would also uh, be sharing about the gospel impact on their life. And so most likely what happened is that the witness of Jewish Christians in the marketplaces and in the synagogues eventually impacted the Gentiles, resulting in this diverse group of believers in Rome. And these believers did a variety of questions about how to relate to one another. And so Paul is going to provide important instruction for them so that they can live uh, in harmony to the glory of God. Because there was a lot working against them when we think of the dynamics there uh, from studying history. uh, We know that uh, the Jews were talking uh, so much uh, about Jesus uh, soon after Pentecost that in uh, 49 AD, uh, Suetonius, the uh, Roman famous historian, he tells us that Claudius, the emperor Claudius, actually expelled the Jews from the city of Rome because they were constantly debating about one person named Christos, Christ. This is also consistent then uh, with Luke's account of Priscilla and Aquila being forced out of Italy because of Claudius's edict. In fact, in Acts chapter 18, verse one and two, I'm gonna read this, but it's just good so that you can see how, we, how we're able to study scripture and how it... Um, how it helps itself, how it speaks into other situations. In Acts 18, verse one, it says, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he went to see them. Okay, so they, so this has already happened. So Claudius ends up dying in around 54 AD and the Jewish Christians, they returned back to Rome. And so in the time between, uh, while they were exiled out of Rome, uh, during this time, uh, the, the church in Rome became a mainly Gentile church. So when the Jews then returned, the church became fractured along these different ethnic lines. And and, and so the meetings were no longer in synagogues. They were in house churches. And the Jewish believers would have had many issues with the cultural practices that had started to take place. And so there's this struggle between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And although Paul hadn't been there, he knew what they needed to hear. He knew they needed to hear the gospel. And so in Romans chapter one, verse one, we'll start off. Some of you are like, are we ever going to read Romans? Romans chapter one, verse one through seven. This is what it says. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace 
and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So as with all ancient letters, uh, Paul begins by just introducing himself. Now, some of them must have known him personally since he greets them in chapter 16, but many of them he'd never met. And so he he first uh, and foremost, he he says his name, and then he states who he is. And he says, I am a servant of Christ Jesus. That's who I am. Now, servant here is literally, uh, the word is... uh, uh, dualos, uh, and, and, and it's slave is, is the word. And, and, and so Paul is saying, listen, uh, like every Christian, I have placed myself under Christ. He is my master. He is my savior. He is my Lord. And I am obedient to whatever he calls and asks me to do because I love him. And so he's, he's, he's telling them who he is. Uh, he's telling them his uh, purpose, his motivation, who he's under authority of. Uh, and then second, Paul has been called to be an apostle. This word uh, means uh, a sent one. And this isn't a job that he selected for himself, is what he's saying. Like, I didn't, I didn't like put my name in the hat. Like, actually, I was against the church. I was against Jesus. Uh, this isn't even uh, a, a, a job I, I even wanted, um, but I was called into it. And he's, and he's saying, I, I was commissioned, I was given authority directly by the risen Jesus to teach it. Okay, and that was a requirement for someone called an apostle in those days. It was the resurrected Christ that, uh, that they had had that interaction. And so what he's saying is, I was set apart for the gospel of God to spread the gospel. Now, what, what is the gospel? We hear that term, we hear it said all the time. It's the message that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again, and now is able to save those who place their faith and hope and trust in him. Uh, Paul says it so clearly in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verses one through four, when he says, now I would remind you brothers of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is the gospel. And the word gospel, it it literally means good herald. In the first century, if on this distant land, if there was a battle that took place and, and, and if the emperor won in this great battle and had great victory, he would send heralds throughout the land to declare victory and peace and his authority. And so the gospel is an announcement. It is a declaration. It, it, it's not uh, advice to be followed. It's the good news about what's already been done. And the Apostle Paul is the herald of this announcement. He says, I'm coming. I'm bringing this announcement. And he calls it, I love this, the gospel of God 
Why? Because it originates with God. It wasn't invented by humanity. Uh, the, the gospel isn't Paul's. Uh, it didn't originate with him. And he didn't claim uh, the authority over it to be able to craft it and change it however he wanted. And, and we, like Paul, we're not at, at liberty to reshape the gospel uh, so that it sounds more appealing or, or to change it to be more comfortable for our lives, uh, right? I, I think that's one of the dangers today is, is, is I see people uh, taking authority over the gospel and, and, and trying to make it fit uh, the life they want to live. In other words, uh, hey, just ask Jesus in your heart. You'll be saved. It's okay. You don't have to repent. Like you can just keep doing that. In fact, God's going to save you and, and, and you can still have those same goals, those same desires, and this is what's going to happen. And, and, and so essentially we're selling this like, hey, you get everything you want. And, 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 and what we've done is we've, tried to, we've taken the good news of the gospel and we twisted it in such a way so that it works for me. But what he's saying here is, <laughs> you never had that right. He's saying also along those lines, the gospel isn't new. Did you notice he's saying that God promised it through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The Old Testament is all about it. Uh, we did an Advent series right before Christmas, and, and we we're talking about how there was a plan before even humanity to rescue humanity. Okay, so all the Scriptures, and we see all throughout the Old Testament, it points towards this declaration, this announcement, this good news. And what does the gospel center on? He makes it very clear. It's on God's Son, Jesus. It's about a person, not a concept. It's about him, not us. See, we don't fully grasp the gospel until we understand that it's not fundamentally a message about our lives, our hopes, and our dreams. Now, the gospel is gonna speak into that and the gospel is gonna transform all of those things, but it's gonna transform all of those things only because it's not about us. Like, like the, it's a declaration about God's son, Jesus. He was fully human. He fulfilled the promises of scripture. A descendant of David, we read. He died for the sins of the world and then was raised from the dead. You guys, the resurrection is, is where we see not only uh, the proof that he's the son of God, but also we see in that, uh, we see the declaration uh, that, that he is alive and operating in all power right now. Right? So, so literally the resurrection, it shouts to us. It declares he is the son of God. He is the savior. But it also declares to us that he is alive and he is active and operating uh, with all power right now. And so I don't know about you, but one of the struggles I have sometimes when I read scripture and even when it comes to the gospel is I start to make it like about me. And one of the reminders that God continually reminds me with as I study is like, it's not about you. It's never been about you. It's always been about Jesus. Respond to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Remember what he's inviting you to. Remember the work that he accomplished that you could never have accomplished for yourself. 
Paul states that he's received grace and apostleship in order to call people from all the Gentiles, all nations. And so he's pointing out the gospel, yes, is for the Jews, but it's not only for them. God has commissioned Paul to take the message to those who aren't Jews. And, and even from the moment he was uh, converted to Christianity, we see this calling uh, on his life um, because uh, Jesus told uh, a man named Ananias to go to Paul and, and to approach him. And he was scared to do it. He's like, I know his reputation. I'm not getting near him. And this is what Jesus told Ananias in Acts 9.15 says, but the Lord said to him, go for he, and he's talking about Paul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. So Paul has been set aside. He's commissioned by the resurrected savior to go and to take this message. And what is that gospel call that, that he's talking about here? What does he say? He says, to, it's to obey and trust Christ. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul's teaching the Gentiles that to be saved, they must both have faith and do obedience, as if both are necessary for being made right with God and being able to have salvation. Guys, what, this, what he's talking about here is this is an obedience that comes from faith. It springs from a complete trust in Jesus. See, obedience flows out of our faith. Like, like it should naturally do that because it's a, it's a consequence. It's a byproduct of true saving faith. It's not this second condition for uh, salvation uh, because I don't know about you, but for me, when I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior, there was a lot of areas of obedience that needed work. Uh, there's a lot of mouth issues. There's a lot of thought issues. There's a lot of actions. There's a lot of relationships. There's a lot of things that needed to change. And so what Paul is saying here is, to be clear, is not that, oh, your life is exactly like Jesus, so now you're worthy. No, what he's talking about is faith is the root, and then obedience is the fruit that comes out of that. Saving faith is in obedient faith. Saving faith is an obedient faith. Why? Because we trust in Jesus. And now, by the Spirit, we live in obedience to Christ. See, uh, you guys, it's so interesting how we think we can just separate those things, isn't it? Like, how in the world do I say to a perfect and holy God who has literally allowed his son to go to the cross for me and you and, 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 we, and, and dies on the cross for our sins, has resurrection, victory over sin and death. And, and, and there's this incredible invitation to us to respond to that message, to receive salvation. How in the world do I receive that? And I, and I say, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my savior. I acknowledge that. I repent. Uh, I from this moment forward, I'm going to live for you. How can I say that, but then have no obedience that aligns with that? Like, it doesn't work, does it? Like, at all. Like, how in the world can I say that and yet go, you know what, but I don't really want to obey what you're asking me to do. 
Like it doesn't work. And yet that is something that, that we believe. And so what Paul is trying to communicate here is, and what the book of Romans is going to communicate so clearly is that this is more than just this saving component here when we're talking about the gospel. It is a gospel message that, that, that moves you into obedience. Like, and, and it's not this like, oh, I better obey him. Like, no, you understand who he is and you place yourself under his authority and you go, man, this is what you want me to do. I'm doing it. I may not understand it. I may struggle with it. This may be a, a, a real problem for me, but because you are who you are and I've placed my faith, my hope, my trust in you and you're my savior, I'm gonna be obedient. And Paul says that is a natural byproduct when we understand and know what the gospel is declaring right? Because the gospel declares that Jesus is the promised king, the risen, powerful son of God who invites us in to enjoy the blessings of his rule. See, and and Paul continues in that thread because uh, when you become a Christian, he's talking about here, you get a new identity. See, the gospel changes who we are. It changes what we stand for. The very word saint that he used here, a saint is someone who is set apart. That's the word. And so the person who trusts in Jesus is set apart. And they're a saint. They're set apart for the Lord's work. And so as saints, if, if you and I, if we place our faith and hope and trust in Jesus, we are, we are set apart. We are, we're declared saints. And so as a saint, our, maybe no one's ever called you that before. Yeah, you know, I just want to receive that today, Steve. Thanks. You know, uh, as saints, our responsibility is to walk in this new identity, pursuing holiness. So my obedience to the gospel is my commitment to walk in this new identity, this new identity that God has said, I'm going to use my followers to declare to the rest of the world that there is a new creation, a new way of doing things. And so that the rest of the world through their obedience, through their example, will see me and go, I want that. How do they love each other like that? How do do they treat each other like a family like that? How, How do they have peace when the world is just chaos? That's the pursuit so the world will see something different. That's only as we are obedient and take hold of the identity that Christ has given us. And then in Romans chapter eight, uh, verse eight, he says this. First, or Romans chapter one, verse eight. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. 
I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So, so Paul's just moved here to thank God for them because their faith is being reported all over the world. I mean, this is incredible, you guys. Paul, Paul's never been to this church, uh, but, but he's heard a lot about them. He's, he's telling them, listen, everywhere I've been, and I've been a lot of places, everybody's talking about you. They're talking about these Christians in Rome. They're talking about what God is doing in and through your lives. I mean, what a testimony. And so Paul is like, man, I've just started praying for you. I've been praying nonstop for you. And I am praying that I can get over to you guys. I wanna be there. I wanna see you. Uh, he says, why? Why does he wanna visit? This is really powerful. He, he says, I wanna use my spiritual gifts to strengthen you. He wants to get there because he wants to use the gifts that God has given him to encourage them. The gifts of preaching, pastoring. He wanted to encourage and strengthen their faith. You guys, we're gonna read more in Romans about spiritual giftings. And at the moment you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he gives you these incredible spiritual giftings for other people than the body of Christ. It's, it's amazing. And, and, and so Paul uh, is like, man, I just want to be, I, I want to get there because I know God wants to use these giftings that he's given me to encourage you and to strengthen you. And so I want to be there for that. But then there's this like surprise here that catches us off guard. This great apostle doesn't want to visit simply to encourage them. He wants to also visit, why? So that their faith, their walk, their obedience can encourage him. Wow. You guys, if, if the apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, sought encouragement from the faith of other believers, how much more should we? It just, it's just spits in the face against this whole, uh, hey, you should listen. I've got something to say. I've got a word for you, or I'm coming to bless you and, and you know, all these things and listen to my prayer, okay? Uh, listen to my Bible study. Listen to how I do ministry. No, uh, Paul is saying, I want to, I want to go to you because I need to be encouraged by you. I, I, I hear about your faith. I, I need that. I need to be encouraged by that. I need to be strengthened in my own soul, in my own heart, in my own struggles. And so he's saying, not only do I want to come and just be emptied out for the Lord, for you guys, uh, and, and however he wants to use me, but I, I need what you guys have in my own life. You guys, uh, I am, it, it's sad when I feel like I have to like convince people to go to church. It really is. It's sad for me. Like, because uh, I just feel like we just miss the point so often, right? It's, it's like, it's like, well, what do you have for me? I don't know, starting Romans next week. Why don't you show up? Like, but, but it's literally that, that, that kind of mentality and we just totally don't understand the framework of how scripture calls us into community and the reason why. 
It's because in, an, in a community like this, in a family like this, we get to come in here and, and, and not only in chapter 11 does it say we get to give our spiritual gifts to the empowerment, to the betterment, to the building up of other people that need it, but also verse 12 says we get to receive that. In other words, I get to come in here and man, I may have had a horrible week. Things may have not worked out. I may have gotten uh, just information. I may have had a conversation. I may, uh, my whole world may have just changed and I come in here and, and the beauty of this passage is it's saying you need to be in community because there is, there is an encouragement. There is a growth in your faith that you're gonna observe in others and God is going to use that to speak into your own soul. And it's gonna pick you up. It's gonna move you forward. You guys, I can't tell you how many times watching you has inspired me. I can't tell you how many times your faith has grown my faith. And, 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 and that is so true. And you guys, that is why it is so important that, that we commit uh, to gathering together uh, with each other because when we're together, that's when we can actually see faith. That's when we see obedience flowing from it. It's when we can see others using their gifts for others and we get to use ours for them and then we're encouraged and we are strengthened. You guys, uh, that is how the gospel works. That's how it works in our lives. It calls us into it. Guys, I am so convinced. One of the greatest tools that the enemy is going to try to do in your life, this new year, 2024, is isolate you. I just know, like that, that is the tool that he has shown over time has worked for him. And so what he's going to try and do in our lives is, is get us to a place where maybe it's shame, maybe it's a mistake, maybe it's something that's happened, maybe something in our family. And for whatever reason, we're ashamed of that. We feel like we can no longer belong. Uh, we feel like God is, uh, you know, he's just like, nope, I'm done with you and that. And, and so we, we, we back away from community. And what you need to know is that it's the opposite. It was never about you in the first place. That's what the gospel says. It was never because you were good enough. It was never because your life was just, oh, God needed your life. It was never because, oh, you're gonna be the next whatever. It was never because, oh, your marriage is perfect or you're just the perfect parent or grandparent uh, or co Like it was never about that in the first place. Uh, so, so we can't make it about that. And, and what this also calls us to, if we're a part of community, is this. It calls us to go to the people who feel that way and love them and draw them back in. It just does. The gospel compels me to go. I was at a restaurant and, uh, and I ran into somebody from church who'd been baptized. And, and I walk in and they're like, ah. Oh. And I go, yeah, I eat too. And, and, uh, and it's like, Steve, you know, and, and, and we just started talking. And, and, and this individual felt ashamed, felt like, man, it's been so long and this, and this has happened and that, to where, to where they're like, I, I, you know, it's been a while. I, I just, I don't, I don't think I can come back. And I just, man, it was a small space, but I just, I was like, listen, God loves you. That love has never shifted. It's never changed. He didn't love you more because you decided to get baptized then than he does even right now. He loves you. You are loved here. God hasn't discarded you. He's not done with you. 
Our community hasn't. We miss you. This guys, we, we need that mentality. But it only happened if we understand even why we need each other. Amen? And so then Paul states his second purpose for visiting. He's coming to both, says, encourage and then to evangelize. And he uses this harvest language, doesn't he, uh, that we recognize from Jesus. Uh, in Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, uh, Jesus is with his disciples. And then it says, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Paul is, is like, man, I am looking to reap a harvest in Rome. And, and Rome was filled with all kinds of different people. He lists some of them, doesn't he? Greeks, barbarians, wise and foolish. And Paul says that he's under obligation to preach to all of them. Now, one is, I absolutely love this because what he's doing is he's crossing any kind of perceived line as to who is qualified to be able to receive the gospel. So he's breaking down all those lines. But then this other part is kind of confusing, right? Because the word obligated can also be rendered indebted. How is Paul, of all people, who hasn't even been there, how is he in debt to them? I love how Tim Keller breaks this down. He says this, it is illustrative to think about how I can be in debt to you. First, you may have lent me $100 and and I am in debt to you until I pay it back. But second, someone else may have given me $100 to pass on to you, and I am in debt to you until I hand it on. It is in the second sense that Paul is obligated to everyone everywhere. So, so what Paul is talking about, he says, I'm obligated. I, I'm indebted uh, to getting there is God, he's saying God has shared with me, has entrusted, has given me this gospel message, but he has also commissioned me with that message to be a herald of that good news to everyone. And so this very gospel that I've been entrusted with is the very gospel that I've been called um, to bring people to faith. And, and so this is the gospel that, that, that is going to call people to faith, and it's how people are going to grow in their faith. You guys, we don't have Paul's specific commission as apostles to the Gentiles, but we're still commissioned by the Lord. In Matthew 28, uh, 19 in 20, uh, it says, go therefore, Jesus is talking, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so, so that, that's all. And so the question that I was wrestling with and the question that I want you to consider is, do you sense that same obligation? Do you, do, do you live and pray like I owe people the gospel? Like, like I must tell others about it. I think so often we're thankful the gospel. 
that we're able to receive it, and our family, and some friends in our lives. And we're really thankful for it when we screw up, we make a mistake. But do we also feel that same urgency, that obligation to take what has been freely given to us and to introduce it to other people? But here's the reality too. Believers also need the gospel. See, we need a better understanding because there is a lot of quote unquote faith, but there's not much obedience. And we need to be reminded as people that already say, man, I'm a Jesus follower. We need to be reminded uh, of our fundamental identity as well as the hope that is ours in Christ. That's what grows us. And so, so why do we need the gospel? Why as a believer, is it not just about receiving it? Why does it need to be a part of our heart and our mind and our daily life? Because the gospel reminds me that I am no longer that person. I have a new God-given identity. I am a saint. I'm set apart by a perfect and holy God for something different, for a different way. And so the gospel reminds me not only of the identity exchange that has happened in my life, but it also reminds me of my hope, right? Like, like you cannot understand the gospel and go, oh, this is hopeless. What's gonna happen? I don't know. This is awful, right? Like, no, the gospel grows us. And so I wanna challenge you. We're gonna be unpacking this every week. I want to challenge you to engage with this and ask what, what effect is the gospel having on you, in your heart, in your life? And with the faith you claim you say you have, is there an obedience that lines up? In other words, are you actually following who you say you follow? And guys, if you've, if you've never made a decision to receive him as your Lord and Savior, I cannot plead with you enough to make that decision. And for those of you that have made that decision and you just received the gospel, you guys, the gospel is not dead. It's alive and it's gonna grow you now. Amen? And so let's embrace that journey together. Let me pray for us.